Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, dear friends. Welcome to Someone Who Isn't Me, episode number 39. As I'm more than mildly obsessed with the numbers three and nine, I'm glad that such an auspicious episode should feature singer, frontman and author Davey Havoc of AFI, Black Audio, Extremist and Dreamcar. In this episode, we discuss AFI's fabulous new album, Bodies, and some of the themes contained therein. Bodies is the California band's 11th studio album and it came out at the start of June 2021. We talk about where it ranks within their body of work for the pair of us. We discuss discovering music at an early age via Thrasher magazine, the importance of developing an aesthetic sensibility for the creation of good art and music, magical intent in the creative process, great lyricists and the benefits of a good pedicure. The portrait I painted of him for the cover of this episode is oil, acrylic and ink, and I believe I failed somewhat in portraying his well-shaped brows. And if you enjoy this episode and the discussion of the mystical nature of creativity, remember that there are 38 other episodes with artists such as Maynard James Keenan, Laura Jane Grace, Jazz Coleman, Tom DeLonge, Billy Corgan, Kat Von D and Alan Moore, etc. I don't have anything to hawk particularly other than some prints of a few paintings via my page on the Death Witch web store. Um, the link for which is in my Instagram bio, which is at Daniel P. Carter and in the show notes. So without further ado, this is Davey Havoc from AFI. Enjoy. Thank you for doing this, by the way. Oh, thank you for having me, Daniel my P. My pleasure. Uh, and I will apologize now because I feel like We've done we've done a couple of things like uh, you did you did the interview for um, Radio One and then I did the thing with you guys for your um, uh, competition winners. Yes, so which is very if, kind of you. No, that's fine. But I'm just saying if we if I start repeating myself, um, I apologize. I think it's a great idea because if I don't repeat myself, then we have to wonder which of the answers was correct. And <laughs> nice. We can check them against each other and, and see if they gel. <laughs> but you said last time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, here's the thing. Let's start off hot. Let's start off with the important business. I just realized that what people don't know about me, that you don't know about yeah. me, Daniel, let's talk about me, is um, I've never had a pedicure ever isn't that shocking i'm shocked just to say it aloud well the thing is i i would i would normally uh say the same thing but i was very lucky because i, I met my wife when we were kids yes and she studied oh. uh like a bunch of like she studied beauty therapy and things like that and one of the things she did was reflexology and pedicures so i what? was literally guinea pig while she was learning stuff so that's the only reason i've had a pedicure that is a treat i i was uh years and years and years ago when i was a kid i i was with an esthetician for a moment uh who would do who would do my brows for me and and well i guess she was a stylist i don't know i don't know what they did but um my brows were getting did nice and i had to do that in high school by myself which was dangerous <laughs> yeah you which can was dangerous the, overboard. and the the yes i wouldn't as a as a kid in high school for fear of many repercussions um not simply da damaging my eyebrows but the social <clears throat> and familial damage that would be done by more extreme brows uh 
I was subtle with it, but a good example, a, um, a cautionary tale of what happens when one such as myself does their own brows can be seen in photos of me while on tour for Sing the Sorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks like I, you know, in modern times, uh, a friend of mine who I'd met in modern times who was young and, and, uh, young, too young to know what AFI is, you know, not, not 35 years old or 45 years old. <laughs> and so she, <laughs> she's like, Oh, you you were in some band or something. Yeah. And something about like alcohol. I'm like, yeah, I don't drink. And she said, Oh yeah, I figured you were a tweaker <laughs> because I saw these old pictures of you and I saw your eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> I said that. Yeah, I can explain. Wow. <laughs> now I'm definitely going to have to go and check this out. You so, know, we were coming so, out of so... the 90s. So what I was trying for, <laughs> what I was trying for, Daniel, were the 90s. You know, the 90s brow was a thin, a thin wisp of a 60s brow. Yeah. Like a uh, like a John Waters mustache. Yes. Brow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you and you'd go up above the brow ridge and and, you know, fill it in like the, like a good queen. And, um, I didn't know how to do that on the road by myself. And I didn't, I couldn't go out. I didn't have time to go, to go find someone to properly do my brows. So I looked, uh, pretty, pretty horrifying. So thanks for having me, Dan. Um, what well, I'm glad that this is where we've started. Are no, you? Cause I'm not, it was well, my fault. But... I, I did it to myself. This is terrible. Okay. Dan. Pedicure tips. Pedicures are important. Agreed. Um, brows. It's, this is a great start, I think. Okay. I was going to say that I, I was going to get to a point where I said that you're a very, you're an aesthetician. Maybe, no, aesthete. An aesthete. You're an, an aesthete, yes. I believe um, aesthetics are very important. I believe I they're very important. And I know you agree. And I I think. Not that you'd think it seeing me, but I do agree no, with you. I, I, mean, I, know, I, I know you. I know you well. Yes, admittedly, at first glance, if I passed Daniel P. Carter on the street, I wouldn't immediately think that man understands the importance of aesthetics. Not that, not as a, <clears throat> I don't mean that to be diminishing. That's fine. But I know you do um, because you're a wise man, Daniel, and you understand how people work. The reality is whether or not, how, how that aesthetic is presented to what extreme or subtlety or lack thereof. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's important. I'm not saying it um, is valuable, but I think that aesthetics, I strongly believe that aesthetics change things and move things because of people's perception and we are a visual kind. Yes. Well, it's a form of magic. It's, yes. Yes. If, if, we're, if we're going to, um, I mean, it's glamour. Yes. Yeah. It is. It is. Exactly. It is a glamour, and it is. And yes, absolutely. Yes, it is a form of magic. <laughs> so is that art is a form of magic. Art is the true form of magic, and an aesthetic is an art form. Whether yeah. it's whether it's conscious or not, being that it does it is magical, if you will. Um, yeah. Thereby, it is an artistry, whether it's honed or not. Yeah. It's an important thing as well, and I know it's something that's very important to you because you can see it in, you can see it in all your work across all the bands, but also how you present yourself. But also, you know, you and I have had conversations about things that. That's not to say there aren't other people in other bands that that share our similar tastes, and and I, I just feel like um, you know, we can talk about the effects of and the importance of fashion and art, mm -hmm. um, visual art. I mean. Yes, within our within our world. And I feel that, um, you know, as soon as anyone is making art and writing songs in particular, they're a product of that person and everything that they surround themselves with. And I think that if you surround yourselves with things that are of a high aesthetic value and level uh, because you appreciate those things, not because you feel like there's going to be some weird kind of osmosis where it actually affects your work. Oh, right. But in a roundabout way, it does. It does. Uh, it does. It, it, it does because of its inherent value. The reason that we're the same, the same reason that it affects you is the same reason that you're attracted to it. You're attracted to it because it affects you. And 
thereby it has affected you. And mm. it was something affects you, it changes you to some extent, if only for a fleeting moment or a more lasting moment. And it, it moves you and it changes you and thereby changes your perception and changes your behavior. And then if you are creating, it changes um, <clears throat> what you create to some level, yeah. it with, especially with greater and greater exposure to whatever that, that piece of art or that human or that moment or that experience is. Um, and that's, yeah, that's, that's art and that's what creates us. But the visual aspect yeah. of it is something that's very impactful, whether or not, like I said, whether or not it's a conscious intention of the person or the group creating that visual and whether or not it's consciously understood by the consumer of, of that, of that visual. I mean, that doesn't really matter necessarily though, does it? No, no, none. Of I mean, it it's a bonus. None it's of it matters, bonus. Daniel. None of it, none of it matters. <laughs> yeah. I, well, actually it's the only thing that matters. The, yeah. None of it. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're aware of it or not. No, what matters is that it's happening. And that is the only thing that matters unless nothing matters. Yeah. But if something matters, that's the only thing that matters. <laughs> the end back to toes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I was going to go through like, um, I want to talk a, a lot about the album because I made a ton of notes each time, uh, in preparation for doing the other interviews and then, and then never got around to asking oh, you a okay, bunch great. of stuff. Um, so I'd like to do that. And obviously because the record is coming imminently, that's kind of why we're talking, but then there's a bunch of other stuff I wanted to talk about, like the sort of, the sort of chronology of how we got to this point and, and you know, you getting into music from an early age and what sort of things were moving you at that point. Okay. Yeah. So what, what, what I know, I know I heard, um, I know I heard you saying that skating had a huge part on, on that and, and, and your musical discovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so Daniel, my musical path was the following. My grandfather sang to me. Um, my mother loved music and my mother had records. So when I was a baby baby, I would learn the songs that my grandfather would sing to me. I would sing them at family functions. I would be given a wooden spoon and a quarter to sing to like my great grandparents and my great aunts and cousins and whatnot. In, wow. Like in, in uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. Um, I can't think of the, the city right now, but it doesn't matter. And I would listen to my mother's records and jump on the bed. She had the copy of the Rocky Horror Picture Show soundtrack that I talk about frequently. I would stare at that yeah. album cover, fascinated. Obviously, it led me to who I am today. What age was it that you, when you when you had that? When I was staring at the record? Yeah, when you when you first heard Rocky Horror. Well, I didn't. I wasn't conscious of listening to it. Ah, oh, okay. I must have because so. Oh, I forgot this aspect of it. So I, I was fascinated with her records. She would put them on, but mm. I, I only remember um, Diana Ross and Michael Jackson. I don't mm. remember hearing Rocky Horror at that time. I remember staring at it, but being very, very familiar, of course, with the Rocky Horror soundtrack. I, my memory doesn't go back to being, I'm talking the ages of two to at the oh, latest wow. five years old. Um, yeah. And then when I was five years old, my grandmother in Rochester, New York, asked me what I wanted for my birthday. And what I wanted for my birthday was an ACDC record. And to date myself, Back in Black had just come out. So it just happened to be the new ACDC record. And that's what I got for my birthday. I would then listen to have my mom put on the record, which she hated and mm. wanted to prevent me from listening to telling me that it was devil music that tells you to kill your mother. And I vividly remember as a baby child, as a five-year-old being baffled and saying, what? No, it doesn't. And she said, yes, it does. This is devil music. It tells you to kill your, this type of music tells you to kill your mother. And I just remember being an innocent child saying, wow, saying, where does it say that mom? Innocently saying, where can you, show me oh my god i'm listening because i didn't want to kill my mother i was five years old yeah so i was horrified at the prospect that i was listening to something that was telling me to kill my mother i didn't like that i was agreeing oh that's horrible show me where and she got mad 
She got mad because she couldn't show me where because they weren't saying that. <laughs> Nobody's saying that except maybe yeah. the meat men. <laughs> oh, and the misfits. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually I found the misfits. So I could find yeah. the music that said, I need to find that band that says kill your mother. My mom <laughs> told me it was out there. She was a big misfits fan in the seventies. Um, so I listened to ACDC as a five-year-old. Uh, great record. Yeah. Great record. Incredible. I'm sure. I know there's a lot of people who don't like the, um, the Brian era, but that's what started me. Uh, and then a big shift, another big shift came when my folks got me a boom box, a one speaker boom box uh, around the time of the inception of the boom box, but mine was not big. It was just a little, a little tape cassette player uh, mm -hmm. for, I keep thinking it was my birthday. It might've been Christmas, but it was the early eighties. It was whenever the, those were released. And they allowed me to get three cassettes, which was very generous as part of this present. And I went to Tower Records in Sacramento where I lived. I believe it was, I don't know if it was the first Tower because that's where Tower came from. There were two in Sacramento at the time, but we went to Tower. The first three cassettes that I bought were Duran Duran, Men at Work, and Devo. Wow, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, let's see, let's see. Duran Duran, <laughs> Men at Work, and Devo. You don't like Men at Work? Or you don't like I mean, Duran Duran? You know. Oh, I love Duran Duran. Okay. So, yes, I agree. Of those three, Men at Work is, I would say great, but the lesser of the, um, of the three. Yeah, they were like an Antipodean police. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, yes, exactly. So, um, and that was in, indicative of what was going on in pop culture at the time, because I was a kid. And so, mm. um, New Wave, the British Invasion the early electronic infused pop music, post-punk music was what was huge. And such an incredible era for pop, I think as well. Oh, I mean, of course, of course we agree on that. Um, yeah. So, you know, if I had been a little bit older, it probably would have been kiss um, or I don't <laughs> know, journey or, um, you know, disco, uh, but I wasn't. That was imagine, the age I was. Hmm? Imagine how different things would be if it had been. I mean, Kiss. Right? I mean, we might have ended up somewhere near where we are. Ah, yeah, but, but no. Not really. Not really. Yeah. Because, I mean, really what I was listening to, obviously, was, in fact, post-punk. And mm. that allowed me. And at the time, I was. Punk was, you know, also dead, as the punks would say. But um, had just finished being very very big which you know of course paved the way to the music i'm talking about and, and that being popular and new wave and you know the terms being muddled and whatnot yeah. but um so punks were around so mall punks were there and i was enamored and fascinated by mall punks so i knew that's that was that was where i needed to be i just didn't know how to get there and i had catholic oppression to deal with and <laughs> thereby i was attracted to the, the, my kind yeah of course and um so I was trying to find punk and I was, uh, I was a child and I was being met with resistance every step of the way, but to get to where you were going, um, Thrasher magazine, hmm. I found skateboarding. I became a poser child skateboarder, which was also very, very popular in the eighties and in the eighties skateboarding and Tell punk rock it. were hand in hand listeners. <laughs> if hmm. you're, if you're not as old as us, um, so, which is not the case, which hasn't been the case since the nineties. Um, yeah. Culture of skateboarding shifted drastically in the nineties, but before the nineties, it was a punk culture uh, mm. for many reasons we could get into, but we needn't. Um, and <clears throat> thereby the skateboarding magazine Thrasher was filled with punk music and ads for punk. Yeah bands and records and t-shirts and there was um, music sections in the magazine notes from the underground and the puss zone where uh yeah where puss had the renowned artist who rose to fame via metallica um like mainstream fame but was previous to that yeah. involved in the punk scene and um did art for the misfits and yeah um 
But then he did Septic. Um, yeah, his band was Septic I Death. Was, yeah. 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 He was in Septic Death. Yeah. And did the artwork for Septic Death. And that's, yeah, that's why. And some other, and Zorlac skateboards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Did, yes. Yeah. Plus, had, had yeah. Zorlac graphics. So it was all intertwined. And Thrasher Magazine was really what taught me about the music and um, led me from listening to that early Duran Duran and what was going on the radio to finding punk rock. Um, what? No, I think that's, uh, no, I find it interesting because I think that perfectly seems to sum up you, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of me. Yeah. That does sum up. Yeah. I mean, fr from a musical perspective, I mean, I don't mean on an, like, I'm not trying to cast you as some kind of two dimensional. No, person. sure. Certainly. Like just oh, yeah, one yeah. Factor. But I mean, <laughs> just I to mean, be clear. I'm, I am multi Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not just There's one more thing. Going on. We've already don't put me in a box. <laughs> don't put my don't um, put my eyebrows in a box. But, but you put my eyelashes in a box, and they haven't come out for twenty years. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that says a lot. And I think across everything that you do, like punk and hardcore, and um kind of new romantic and new wave yeah just i mean we are a product of of the things that we consume I yeah guess, on, on from an artistic level as we said at the start and i think that really comes through on this record the, i think so too in a, in a very in a, in a very um acute way that we don't see in in previous records as much uh there's yeah there are more of those early influences that are exposed <clears throat> um more distinctly on this record as you as you yeah. pointed out when we did our fan chat, I believe. I think that's why it's my, and this isn't just me saying this because we're doing an interview right now, but I think it's my favorite record of you guys. Man, mine um, too, but, and that means so that, much coming from you. Yeah, but so I mean, thank that, you. Yeah, but me too. Though. Lived with it for a short period, but same. Um, <laughs> I'm very, yeah, I'm very, um, and I don't think it's that kind of. Um, sort of honeymoon period that that you would have in a relationship which is an uh kind of relevant to this record as well and in a certain degree but i feel well, like do you experience um, that I, I actually have a tendency to not experience that with music that i consume yeah to me it's it's generally it's rare for me to even with artists i love for it to immediately strike me um i can generally tell immediately oh i i, I can tell okay I can tell this is great, but as far as where it's going to sit in the ranking of my yeah, favorites yeah, of okay. the, I don't know that it, I don't know that immediately often, sometimes, I mean, when, when Nick Cave released push the sky away. Yeah. I, that was very striking. I, that was one of those yeah. moments where I went, Oh, holy fuck. Um, you were already perfect, but now you're perfect in a different way, in yeah. a very new way for you. And I know that this is an important shift, and I can tell that this is going to remain one of my favorite Veer records, and it has. But um, yeah, I think I think everything he's done in in those last few records has just been so. I mean, Murder Ballads was always my favorite. Uh, I don't know why. I think I had like a quite an affinity to that record because I I, I remember um, I had a cassette of it, and when me and my, my wife would be driving around when before we were married. Like we listened to that record, that tape a lot. Mm. And um that that still um has really struck me. Um but I think with the last couple, like Skeleton Tree and Ghost Team, yeah. I just feel like Yeah. And I, I it's just so heavy, man. It is and a great oh yeah. And I so feel tragic. those it's interesting. I I put those three records together. I feel mm. that and Carnage as well, yeah. um, which is more minimal. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, to be fair, they recorded it, and of course, it was going to be minimal. It's just it's, I, that is just Nick and and Warren, and right? Warren, yeah. So I it's not a Bad so, Seeds record, yeah. right? So yeah. as far as the Bad Seeds records go, I too group those three, and to me, those three records, those three records sound very similar, in my opinion. And could be one long record. Well, they are a triptych. He views them as a triptych. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. So that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense yeah. to me. And that being said, not having known that he professes them to be a triptych, 
generally an artist who records something that similar two times in a row yet three times in a row i'm generally over it <laughs> but <laughs> yeah but with those records i am of the opinion that he can keep doing that forever <laughs> and i am and yeah. i am good but i think it's a unique circumstance because he's working so much with mood and lyrics and storytelling and and you know walls of music and escape and realms with that embrace of the poetry which yeah you know the poetry elevates the sounds and the, the way that it works off each other it's such a different um it's just yeah, it's a, a really non-traditional way of writing yeah songs. it's very non-traditional the songwriting is very very unique and you know comes from a of course it comes from the the folk world i would feel in the blues world and intertwining yeah. that and then there still is rock but then anyway it comes from a very wounded place i think yeah anyway right as i've said to you before about how i i see this record to be very uh yeah open and and as i said before i think a less less emotionally guarded i wanted to say last time that i feel um the people being referenced in certain songs i mean they may not be they may be characters however we wish to discuss this i feel like um they're actually people yeah okay and i feel like um they're not going to be lang they're not going to be languishing in any kind of um doubt as to whether or not is this song about me i don't yeah, think I that's an unfair assessment <laughs> <laughs> i i don't think that's an unfair assessment i okay. <clears throat> If we went through song by song, I think it's possible. Um, well, certainly the subjects, when there is a human subject involved, there, there are levels of symbolism to the archetype, if you will. But yes, admittedly, um, I would say that your sentiment is correct that in a lot of the instances in bodies um the subjects are distinct um those subjects are nuanced but yes i think your your <laughs> your suspicion would probably be correct for most yeah. of the cases uh that you that you feel that um across the but, characters yeah but i i, I feel like that in even that is another level of honesty that is in the song because yeah you can feel it right or i could or i or i'm assuming i'm assuming all this so yeah but it feels to me like that that's the case and um sorry, yeah I, I, you're 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 absolutely right there's a greater frequency of that on this record than i would say there has been on any record um with the exception possibly of burials um mm. that occurs throughout the history of of my lyric writing, I suppose I should say. I was going to say AFI, but yeah. it does occur throughout the history. But as far as a grouping of songs where um, what you're sensing could be argued, it can be argued, I believe, for more songs than any other release within the, within the body's record for the different, um, for the different characters that are, that are created within the, within the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. But that that's a great thing though. Well, thank and you. I, I think... appreciate that. I, I had no choice. <laughs> I never have a choice. <laughs> I try to have a choice sometimes. Every times I every time. Sometimes I try to <clears throat> push in one way or another. And uh oftentimes a little nudge will be very fruitful, but oftentimes more often than not, if if I try to do something that I wasn't inclined to do in the first place, it becomes Oftentimes it just becomes um, forced, you know, it feels forced and, yeah, I, yeah, and I, can't, yeah. I can't succeed at it. And uh, that is a compliment to me. It's, it's flattering to me that, that you recognize that, that you feel that it has value, especially because I do have a desire to write in that direct way because it's difficult what for do me you to do. Why do you think that's happened more in this record? Is it, is it, because of, I mean, let's not get into it if you don't want to, but I'm assuming circumstances or, or just your approach to writing. 
Both, both. Yeah. I, I mean, I think certainly it was my approach to writing has inclined me being that I traditionally looking at the majority of, of what I've written, um, certainly in regards to AFI, write in an arcane um, fashion in which there's words that are just bathed in symbolism and metaphor and simile and um yeah, but that's still here as well. That's a what bit. I'm saying. Okay. I, I mean, that's really complimentary because I really would like to balance the two. And, and there was a time period after, I would say, trying to uh, weave the two styles together was something that I wanted to, well, now I'm thinking, I was going to say after Crash Love was initially what I was going to say, but then Burials was a very unique writing experience. And in after that with Blood, that's where I wanted to be both direct, but still infuse some of that poetry and see if I could accomplish that. Mm -hmm. And then I had another unique experience with bodies where my life led me in a very, very unique direction that I hadn't experienced before in my long, long life. And thus being the obnoxious person that I am, I was mm -hmm. very inclined to tell anyone who would listen about it um, via a record. Yeah. <laughs> via, via AFI and still being inclined as I was on blood, my attempt was to balance those two um, and having a new unique experience gave me a focus that was unique to bodies while working within that inclination um, to balance those two, two techniques. It feels like the whole record is about um, the balancing of polarities anyway. Yes. So that, that just becomes like an almost meta level of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Wow, I didn't even recognize that, Daniel. But yes, of course. Wow. <laughs> yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. Yeah. Or the, yeah, the, the struggle of, of, of that balance and the confrontation of those, those polarities. Um, and there's, there's another one just in the inherent creation of that. Yeah. Yeah, because like I said... I, those sort of uh like esoteric and as you said like archetypal elements are still well within them you know when we when we first talked on radio one about um i think it was when just when um escape from los angeles came out mm -hmm. um and and i said about the you know the the play on words about it being the city of angels and you saying about um i fell from uh like morning sun right and and that obviously being, you know, the sun of the morning, to, yeah, yeah, and and things like that. But then also like tied to a tree as well, which has all these. This might just be me having a terrible habit of picking through things, knowing the sort of things that you're into and where our interests cross over in this sort of esoteric Venn diagram. Me then going, oh, well, tied to a tree makes me think of you know, the idea of gaining wisdom and Odin being tied to a tree. But then there's also this C.S. Lewis element to it about <laughs> white hairs and, yep. and following, <laughs> following down holes. Yeah. But then something is also in Celtic law, which I think applies. And I don't know if this was any intention, but the idea that within sort of folklore in, in the Celtic tradition, there's the idea that if a person, well, a woman, but a person dies heartbroken, Mm -hmm. they would come back as a white hair mm -hmm. and torment the person that had, that was, was the, the cause uh, of the their, culprit, cause, I guess. Cause their... Yeah. And, and then torment them until that person died, which is interesting. Well, that's a chilling understanding of those, those relatively esoteric <laughs> lyrics. Yes, Daniel, I'd say once again, um, you, uh, you have very valid, a very, very valid interpretation of what's what's going on, especially in that song, which is, as you pointed out, extremely symbolic. Um, mm. Well, it has an extreme use of, of symbolism and, and metaphor and imagery and, and many, many references, um, both literal and um, philosophical in, in, in that regard. Uh, and it is, uh, I really, I really, I really appreciate that because I think those are all very, very accurate descriptions of the sentiment that's, that's being um, confessed, I should say, in that song. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. With that and also um, back from the flesh, I think those two which have that that more brooding sort of slow burn Mm. feel to them, again, just balances out because the record is, as we've said before, really propulsive. And I think that um, those moments where uh, I'm feeling like the things that, that you're really into as uh, all of you as, as players and, and um, musicians have come to the fore. And, and a lot of that is, to, is why the record feels like it has that sort of propulsiveness to it, like that kind of very eighties kind of post-punk feel, but um, but yeah, those two then really balance it out beautifully. I think I agree. I'm so happy that those those two made the record. I felt it was such an important part of that story of that greater not narrative, but the but the the movement as you're saying and the propulsion and the and the the body of work that is bodies. And without those moments, it would really change the feel of the entire record. And yeah. those are are fulcrums, and they're they're shifting points, and they're um, they're expanses that open up um, within the the density of the tracks that surround them. And I I really I I think they're of course important as songs as as within themselves, but they create the whole, and the whole would be completely different with without them. And I'm very very happy that the track listing is what it is because it could have been many yeah. different things. Uh, you know, as you know, we write multiple songs for each release and it's a matter of choosing them. And for me, I've, I've said this before in interviews, I've probably said this to you. This is my favorite AFI record. And that is due very much to that mood that you're talking about. And I think it's perp- It's just wonderfully representative of who we are. And without this very specific track listing, it wouldn't create the same, it wouldn't create the same environment. Um, yeah. Which I think is a very genuine and poignant environment for us right now, I believe. For it is for me. It is for me. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's my favorite one. Thanks, Daniel. Well, it's for you. So that means a lot Thanks. because that, that the record is, <laughs> the record is for, for you. So for you to have well, that reaction um, is very important. And um, well, the, the beauty of all great art is it should feel somewhat for the person uh, enjoying it and experiencing it anyway. Yeah. And I think that that's why it's, yeah, it connects. Um, I should hope. Yeah. I should hope. Yeah. I was curious while we're talking about the whole kind of, um, the theme of duality on the record. Mm. Again, this is me reading too much into everything. I mean, you're probably but, just you're probably reading what's right in front of you. <laughs> no, I, d- I don't know because explicit because... text <laughs> that that you happen to see. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. This is more about the way the the record has been released because you've been releasing the songs in pairs, mm. and I was curious to know if you'd gone so far as to actually pair the songs up specifically for um that purpose to to almost like counterbalance each almost like each drop do you know what i mean well i mean yeah there certainly there was there was a very active choice in which songs we we paired together um to to balance yeah so each each drop would have a mood in and of itself even though it was two songs to foreshadow yeah. the mood of what was to come as an entire body of work. That was certainly uh, orchestrated, because mm. how could you not? 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> How could one not? I feel- if, if, if the choice to release music in that fashion was made, there'd have to be some thoughtfulness to the balance or the lack thereof. If it's yeah, purposeful. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I guess from a sonic perspective, yes, and mood perspective, but I was one, you know, me being me, I was curious if to see it had gone even further than that with certain pairings. Um, As like counterpoints lyrically and, and thematically, I meant. No, I can't admit to that. Okay. I would have done if I'd have been you. <laughs> I'd like to say, I'd like to say, I'd like to say yes. Honestly, that <clears throat> if working, if working within, if working alone, yeah as the lyricists and the intention certainly that would have been done yeah but yeah. um as a group and understanding how people listen to music and and how music is presented and consumed um i didn't even begin to <laughs> to try to try to push that one through because i understand yeah. the merit of the tonal um balance or push and pull uh yeah and i respect i respect that um but yes that that would be a good course to take yeah what i mean when you said that um you obviously have written uh, you know you you write quite um prolifically when you when you're working on an album cycle i guess if we're viewing it that way yeah and then certain things will make the grade and certain things will get cut off very early on i'm curious because as i said this this record feels like there are moments and I don't mean this to come off as some like weird backhanded compliment because I don't mean it like that. I mean it purely as a beautiful thing, but there are moments where it really makes me think of, of the bands that I know that you love and that I love. And I think that's part of the reason why it's connected, but was there a conscious decision to do this? No, no. Those type of songs are, are, essentially accidentally written it just comes naturally to us in the in the writing process yeah. there's we write so many different types of songs and we gravitate toward some more than others and luckily yeah. for me on this occasion for whatever reason you know it doesn't always have to do with the song itself it has to do with the people you know who mm. are evaluating the songs at the time and that very much begins with jade and i and the place that we're in and where we are emotionally and you know whatever our internal perceptions of what we're trying to do or aren't trying to do we never have an explicit conversation about it uh it's just a matter of creating the music and then discussing okay which ones are our favorites but not with any sort of greater intention other than picking what we to minimize it feel are the best songs you know what a best song is 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 completely yeah. subjective and so that, mm. that um, subjectivity imparts our decision as to which the best songs are. And then that's extended to the whole band after the songs are really fleshed out and which each of us thinks are the best song for the album. But it's never an explicit conversation as to what the best album would be in tone or vibe. <laughs> um, and You've reached it regardless. We, I, thank you, Daniel. I, I, I feel in this, in this way, in this time, with a case of bodies, I feel we have in um, a very unique way, in a very specific way, that in a very important way for me, in looking at the history of of our band. I'm very happy that we made that we made this record, but uh, and that was a product of the selection and what we gravitated toward. And I'm very grateful that we all gravitated toward this particular body of music in relation to the greater body of music that was created during the bodies sessions. Um, <laughs> You know, yeah. Lots of bodies. Lots of bodies. Lots of them. They're um, laying all about. Yeah. Strewn everywhere. It is a very carnal record, it seems as well. Yes. Yes, for better or worse. Dare I say sexy. Well, thank you. Dare to say. <laughs> yeah, it's a terrible, it feels like such a terrible way of phrasing it, but um, but I feel it's Well, fair. not contextually. Of course, everything is contextual. Um, and, and, yeah. you know, rel relative to, to that. And, um, you know, that's, that is comp complimentary because I don't think it is diminishing. That word is often used as no sexy is never diminishing. It's only a compliment. Yeah. It, yeah, I agree, but it can, it can, I don't know. It feels like it can be tainted with 
cheapness. And that's it can. Why I, that's why I'm was wary to use it. Yeah. In regards to what we're Can't. speaking of, it can only be complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel like um like in dulceria and on your back and um back from the flesh in particular, it feels like yeah, like quite a carnal record, which I think Wow, is yeah, you caught the back from the flesh. Yeah. <clears throat> and yet it's yeah, the, and 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 the carnality is uh especially with back from the flesh is certainly bathed in commentary. Yeah. And that's why, you know, we we're we're speaking with an understanding of what specifically we're talking about. So we know we're not talking about a Marvin Gaye song. But as I think of Marvin Gaye and to describe something that is sexy, that's still fantastic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, we're just there's a brutality in <clears throat> within the, the body sexiness is, which is unavoidable. Um yeah. you know, there's a there's it's confrontational. For better or yeah. worse. You know, it's yeah. back to the duality. With Dulceria as well, actually, another thing that I wanted to ask about was obviously that um that's the collaborative song with, with Billy, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was great. So, yeah, because you've, I mean, you did stuff with those guys um, when they were touring. Like you went, you came out and sung with them and stuff. Yeah. And you obviously have a wider kind of relationship. So how did... How was that working with him? Because obviously amongst you guys, it's obviously very close knit, especially between you and Jade. Mm -hmm. So then how, how was it then working? I mean, he's, he's one of my favorite songwriters of all time. Yeah. I think he's fantastic, but I mean, how was that? Well, you point, you point to the true cause of the collaboration is that we as AFI who have never collaborated with anyone before mm. view him as one of the best songwriters of our lifetime. And um, to have the opportunity to work with him was thrilling for us at this point in uh, our existence as a band. So mm. we took it, we took that opportunity and it was great. My participation was very minimal. Um, he and Jade, I think he and Jade wrote together, as I recall, a few times on two of which of those, two, two of those occasions I joined. And mm. um, but my participation was just watching, really. I believe Billy wanted me to participate and join to hear what my voice sounded like singing the melodies he was writing. And mm. I knew that in the end, um, and I was thrilled at the prospect of this, that Billy would be writing the top line and I would be, I suspected at least, and that I would be writing the lyrics. And I sat and I watched Billy on bass and Jade on guitar just kind of riffing off each other and Billy writing top lines over these riffs. And after what I believe was two days, Jade compiled everything that had been written and at some point took it and took sections of each, well, not each, but took a few sections from the writing sessions and created mm. Dulceria out of those parts. And it was months after. I thought this session was, I thought it was a wash. And then mm. months later, Jade said, listen to this. This is, I went back to the Billy sessions and I put this together and I was moved. I said, this is fantastic. Let me write that. Yeah. And I wrote the lyric, which I, I feel is one of my best lyrics that I've written. I, I'm very, very fond of those words. And mm. so much so, it was an interesting experience for me because it's the first song that I've, well, is that true? That's not true. So yeah, this is something that rarely occurs in, <laughs> in the history of AFI because on occasion Jade has written the top line, for instance, yeah. Escape from Los Angeles or- But then that's that's still within within your, you know, the pair of you. Right, song, yes. Main songwriters. Correct. You, 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 raised, you raised the emotional point that I was trying to latch onto when I stuttered. Um, so it was the first time someone outside of, of Jade that mm. wrote a top line that I sang ever. And by the time the song was written and made the record and there was a pandemic, the song had just become the song and I'd forgotten you know, who wrote what, and it was, I had so much yeah. emotional ownership to it and still do. 
which was an interesting experience. Um, not that I had any trepidation about embarking on that sort of songwriting effort, but I didn't really consider a moment where the song would truly just, to me, live live as a song and not as something that Billy Corgan participated in. Yeah, yeah. It's to me, it's just. It's interesting cool. because I don't think I knew that that you guys had written with him when I first heard that song. Ah, so it never came. So it, I don't. I must have missed that. I don't know what had happened, but I think I just listened to the song without sitting there with like a you know like a press release or whatever. Yeah. Um. So I was just uh, just enjoying it and reacting to it just you know in a, in a very just yeah yeah as it, well it is but as a very you know with that out that even not being a, a factor i mean mm -hmm. but then when i went and then when i saw that and then listened to it again i'm like oh yeah i can i hear it i can hear yeah i can hear it now but but i think that's so i think that's a beautiful thing agreed um, agreed yeah yeah and to me that's how i felt when we wrote the song when the song became what it was i didn't feel that it sounded unlike something no. afi would do i felt like it sounded like a unique afi song and a very important afi song but i didn't yeah feel like anyone would be shocked <laughs> but yeah. you know like what this is this yeah, a reggae no, no, song yeah. <laughs> men at work right upstrokes are wild <laughs> man <laughs> Wild. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I don't know. I'm not getting into that. I'm not a fan. Into um, I mean, yeah, I like I like Bauhaus, the Police, the Police, the Clash. Yeah, Bauhaus, but that's slightly different. What about what about Second Wave? I really like um, um, like stuff like Specials and English Beat. Yeah, General Public. Yeah, I've, yeah like the yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so I like all that, but then see, that, that, we like all that, that. and that's it. Yeah, but I still can't get away from thinking of third and fourth wave. Third wave, we don't think about that. It's not discussed. Yeah. What about um, stiff little fingers? No, not not particularly. Never really went there, to be honest. Subhumans? Nah, no, not really. Okay, I'm probably nowhere near as cool as as um, or my musical taste is nowhere near as cool as you you would assume. <laughs> no, that can't be because you like the coolest music that only ten of us like. Yeah. <laughs> so you've already, you're already at the top. Well, this is another thing I wanted to talk to you about because, um, and it goes back to what we were saying about these kind of um, esoteric elements and the sort of the thematic elements to what you write. I had another thought today, but I don't want to say it because I don't know, because it's kind of a weird one. We'll talk about it at the end. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we've talked about that whole period of, of bands like Coil and, and and psychic tv and throbbing gristle and stuff and and obviously there's a huge magical element to that and we've discussed how art is a magical thing anyway yeah is is that a conscious thing when you're working do you ever think that it, within those terms or is it wow or is it an instinctive thing because i think you know great art is instinctive and and that is part of the the magic of it that's interesting that you asked that question so the answer isn't the answer isn't no um I've never really considered it consciously in that way. Um, I've never cons considered the question that you're answer consciously. And the answer to the question is yes. On rare occasion, there is a consciousness to a desired effect of the creation in the regards to yes. what you're saying. It's rare. If we're Especially going to equate... Well, right. I, I was going to say, yeah, with lyrics, I, right. I, it is, um, you know, Alan Moore has this thing that, he, that he's always talking about where, um, you know, spells and spelling, you know, those things are, uh, you know, writing, the actual act of writing and, mm -hmm. and creative writing is a, it, he views it as a magical spell. And I do as well to a certain degree. Well, I'm just curious I, if you I mean, do. it certainly is to a certain degree because the psychological effect of that act and the uh, result it has on the consumer are, um, are are defined. They're definitive. Yeah, you know the the, the change that it has on, upon you psychologically is is something that can actually be charted, <laughs> if you will. Um, hmm. So, and being that, as you point out, uh, that is the case for words and writing, um, and then me being 
the lyricist, that being as well as melodies, but that be, being my um, acute comp- contribution, the most recognizable contribution. And as a listener uh, who, if you do, if you are one who pays attention to lyrics, you really pay attention to lyrics for the most part. Someone who, you, yeah. generally I find that people <clears throat> tend to ignore lyrics and maybe pick up on a word or two here and sing a wrong lyric, or they are really curious as to what the intention of the song is or what they're, or they're, they're hearing something that they are reacting to. And because we know that, we know the effect of the lyric. Thereby, to harken back to your question, on occasion, which is rare in the past. I have written with um, desired effect. And if we're going to use the term magic, interestingly, for better or worse, it would be the, the results that I have seen in regards to that intention that were most striking um, would have been a result if we are to work in that terminology of a black magic. Wow. Which means I'm going to get mine, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, that's what they always say. But I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, what a win. So, <laughs> wow. Took a minute. But um, it's rare. Only since you yeah. asked me that question, do I can I, must I consciously, honestly think of, think about it and honestly answer yes, but it is rare. Mm. Generally, um, generally I, I naturally write, I understand that what I'm creating can have a far reaching and perhaps long lasting effect, but rarely am I looking for a specific desired result. Yeah. Yeah. Or a selfish result very yeah. rare huh. very rare who are your who are your favorite lyricists by the way oh man um i know this could be like go on forever but I'm okay just i'll curious. just rattle I mean, i'll just rattle them off um elliot smith ian curtis mm-hmm. um robert smith frank black yeah um i think david tibet's great nick cave of course morrissey um that's what I wanted to ask you about was about Morrissey. Absolutely. Oh my God. I, like to I be Oscar Wilde. I don't want to say it because it sounds like a weird compliment, but at the same time, it could be taken the wrong way. But I see a lot of, I don't know whether it's just this record or, but I see a lot of that. Wow. Um, a lot of him in, in, in what you do. Oh, it's interesting that you, what you, what I was about to say as you were saying that. So that is wildly complimentary because what I was going to say was Mo- Morrissey is Oscar Wilde. And it's interesting because of course he was influenced by Oscar Wilde. He's very forthwith about that, yeah. but I don't find him to be, you know, a pale facsimile of, Oscar Wilde, and yet mm. it's so Oscar Wilde. And I don't feel he's trying to be Oscar Wilde. I know he loves Oscar Wilde. Um, I may or may not have known of Oscar Wilde before I listened to The Smiths. I think I did, but it is because of Morrissey that I'm that familiar with Oscar Wilde. And mm. um, I feel he was simply influenced by Oscar Wilde. It's so similar to Oscar Wilde, yet it is its own thing and and it, and it's it's unique and um unparalleled in my opinion i, I mean yeah, he yeah. is he is shocking like shockingly wonderful lyricist it's yeah, it's incredible. poignant it's artful it's impactful it's funny how dare you like nick cave um you know the self awareness and the humor while being scathing and unapologetic and thoughtful and intelligent um, that's so rare. And that can be said for most of the writers that I named, except you except you would extract the humor 
from everybody except Nick and Moss. <laughs> there's not, <laughs> there's not a not, not a lot of laughs in Ian Curtis or Elliot Smith. There is in Robert Smith though. Robert's yes, yes. I'm sorry. There's a playfulness in that. Absolutely, yeah. Robert yeah. Robert gets that um, accolade as well. Um, but I mean, that's very flattering. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate that. That's a compliment. It's not something that I consciously strive for. Certainly, at you know. No, I I wasn't implying that. No, I just I just there's something there that I feel I could um. I imagine that any any turn of phrase that I naturally land upon, it, it comes from more of it's certain. It's not from reading poetry. I wish I could say it were. It's not. It's I I'm not a big poetry reader. I certainly read fiction far more than I read poetry, but yeah, any. <clears throat> any ability that I have to turn a phrase, I would say comes from ingesting those musical artists. Um, yeah, those are, those are my, those are my favorite lyricists. There are more I'm sure that would, yeah. that I've, that I've omitted that you could probably name. I do love David Tibet. I, um, yeah, he's incredible. I, it's incredible. It's incredible. I'd love to meet that guy. I've not met him. Have you ever met him? So interestingly, I've not met him, but through purchasing some of his fine art, I began an email relationship with him. Wow. And let me tell you, that exchange is exactly what you would dream it to be. It was like hanging out. I, I met, I had, a, I had a day with Robert Downey Jr. Okay. Um, same thing. That's amazing. So when you think of David Tibet and what he is like and what you imagine him to be like and what exchanging him would be like, that's exactly what it's like in the same way that yeah. when you, if you were to think of what hanging out with Robert Downey Jr., you'd think it'd be like, oh, he's just, he's exactly like Tony Stark, but the funny, but funny and not a dick. Yeah. That's correct. I, I only, <laughs> yeah. I only met him very briefly at, at a show in a, in, um, David, um, no Downey. What show? Downey. Would, I'm uh, sorry. It so, was, uh, when I say that, I want to be clear. I'm not friends with Robert Downey Jr. I've met him. I have a friend who is very, very good friends with Robert Downey Jr. So when I say Downey, I'm parroting the way my friend refers <laughs> to his childhood awesome, friend. Though. Yes. Um, I found him to be uh, wonderful. Oh. He was He was like, yeah, he was exactly as he said. And I think that's a beautiful thing. when When you meet somebody and they are everything you expect them to be without the disappointment. That was yes. a great thing. <laughs> yeah. you know? Yes. Yes. Mm. Especially when, when working with actors where you should have no, we can't help but create this character surrounding these actors, which is yeah. absurd. It should be the opposite. Yeah. It's always, it's always a weird one, isn't it? Because you kind of wonder when somebody's career is pretending to be another person dependent on whatever it is they're in. Right. You kind of wonder if you'll ever see what the real person is. Right. Our inclination um, should be that I know nothing. I know so, I know nothing about this person other than they are a great actor, but what they are as yeah. a human being, I have no idea. We shouldn't be projecting mm. these personalities and these lifestyles upon them, but we do because I think it is Daniel. I think that, I think we sense a typecast <laughs> and typecasting yeah. is the thing. Yeah, for sure. But then you must get that, right? Do you feel like... Yeah. I, wow. I don't know, because at, as... Um, you what, know, you mean again, t I, projecting? You mean? I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'm not... Again, we've already established that you are a multifaceted, wonderful human being that has <laughs> many, a plethora of interests and you're very well read. I'm just saying that other people's perception must be very much... Um, only what you give them within within the records right yes so yeah it's a very interesting thing because there's you know as it is with anybody that you don't really know there's there's a certain amount of information that is there to be consumed to deduce what type of person this is you know mm. and um of course people oftentimes choose the bits that they want yeah that's the most frequent thing. The bits that they enjoy, they will oftentimes choose and create a per persona around that and expect that persona and whatever it is. And, and those bits that are chosen 
are often chosen from a pool of a finite period of time. Yeah. You know? So it depends on the, it really depends on the person as to who they do or don't think I am. For instance, someone like yourself who has a deep knowledge of, mm-hmm. of, of you do, you have, well, you are very versed and very, very educated and have done your homework on Davy Hammer. <laughs> for and you're quite the professional for whatever reason whether whether it's out of professionalism is that a word professionalism Profession- that's a word yeah Profe- whether it's out of professionalism or actually enjoying in part enjoying what i do either way i really appreciate it but um it's definitely more of the latter than the former that, yeah, <laughs> go on um you know and and um you know plus you you recognize aspects that a lot of people aren't even um presented with so yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of a lot of ideas of who I am and who I'm not. It's all fine. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, that's a great. Uh, way it's gen- it's generally nice. Good. Generally nice. As the misperceptions. The, generally, the misperceptions are strange. If if they're they're just odd for the most part, I find them to be relatively strange when when there are misperceptions. Um, most of them aren't offensive. Some of them are. But whatever, mm. doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. How does it matter? Great. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm going to go get my first pedicure. <laughs> Is your wife available? Thank you for listening to episode 39 of Someone Who Isn't Me. As you may have gathered over the course of this conversation, the 11th studio album from AFI is available now. It's called Bodies and it's a great record. I'm sure you're already following the band and Davey on the socials already, but um, remember to go and check out some of, if not all, of the other episodes of Swim as there are a bunch of incredible guests and the conversations are pretty inspiring, even if I do say so myself. Please follow Swim on the socials, which is at Swim Podcast. I'm at Daniel P. Carter. Subscribe on your preferred pod provider. Leave a nice review wherever you can. Tell your friends that you love them. Look after yourselves. Love is the law. I'm out. Peace. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.